John Lee Dumas, you just said, what a fun journey it's been on. Uh, dude, could you imagine, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, we'd be where we are today? <sighs> Definitely not 15 years ago. 10 years ago today, I was walking along the shores of Pacific Beach, California, listening to you on your podcast, Answer Man podcast, talk about your mastermind you were launching. And I said, I got to be a part of that. And that was almost 10 years ago to the day. Wow. Tell me a little bit about what your life was like then, but you know, before the entrepreneur on fire guy that we all know today. Yeah. My life before then, you know, was pretty much a traditionally, uh, more of a traditional story than, you know, most would think, you know, I graduated college on an army scholarship, spent eight years as an officer in the army four active four in the reserves did a little corporate finance with John Hancock, tried law school, dropped out after one semester. And, you know, a few years before Entrepreneurs on Fire, I was in commercial real estate, just trying to figure out if this was going to be my career in my, my low 30s. And I was like, you know what, I kind of feel like your low 30s is where you start to figure things out. You know, that's, of course, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, well, that's so young. But now at the time I was like, I need to figure my stuff out. And it just wasn't clicking for me, Cliff. I just wasn't in love with the day-to-day. -day. How old is John Lee Dumas today? 42. Nice. Cool. A lot of gray in the beard right here, Cliff. That's why <laughs> a lot of gray. So when you were a kid, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you have an idea? No idea. I loved baseball and I grew up loving the Boston Red Sox. And there was this shortstop for the Boston Red Sox. His name was Spike Owen. And he was a good fielder, but he was a terrible batter. He batted like 237, which is pretty bad. And I remember saying to myself, if Spike Owen can be a major league baseball shortstop for the Boston Red Sox, I can too. And that was kind of a far-fetched uh, fetched dream. And beyond that, um, you know, which was a dream that I realized was not going to happen quite shortly after that, um, I, I really had no aspirations, no kind of ex expectations about what my life was going to be. I didn't grow up wanting to follow my father's footsteps and be a lawyer. I did not want that. I, you know, didn't really have any real drawing. I wasn't creative. So there was no artistic draw. I wasn't musical. I wasn't like overly into pets. So I didn't want to be a, a veterinarian. I remember for like a couple of years, I was like, I'm going to be an ocean marine biologist. But I feel like everybody said that at some point in their life. Because of Jacques Cousteau. Probably because of Jacques Cousteau, if I'm thinking about it. Yeah, Absolutely. And I remember even getting to college and being like, I don't even know what I want to major in. So I was undecided for like almost all four years. That's great. Well, this is a brand new podcast that I just launched, by the way, my 48th. <laughs> the title of the show is called What Are You Creating? And the idea is that every episode would feature an interview with somebody that I know is very intentional about what they want to create in life. And so that's why you are here is because you create a lot of things and you're very intentional today about what you create. And so I have a series of questions that I'd love to ask, probably most guests, but I'm certainly going to ask you these, these questions. The first one, and I, and I love this because I have not submitted these questions to you ahead of time. And I have no idea. <laughs> they're some of the more deep, they're, they're about the deepest questions one can ever ask anyone on this planet. First wow. question, and by the way, there's no right or wrong answer. 
the answer to these questions I've found for myself and everybody that I've talked to is always evolving. First question, who are you? Well, first and foremost, I would say that I'm a human. And what I mean by that is like, you know, when you kind of have success over time, people kind of want to put things on you like you're so disciplined, you're so focused, you're so financially savvy, you're so annoying, you're so, you know, obnoxious, you're so whatever. Like there's all the things that people like to put on you as a individual. But at the end of the day, like, I really just feel like I'm a human. And, and, and when I say that, I say that because I see it as a reflection of other people, meaning like when I'm spending time with other people, especially by the way, from different countries, from different ethnicities, I just, what I see is the similarities of us. I see the similarities of, of who they are. And even if I'm speaking with somebody, you know, in a very small rural town in Italy, you know, they have the same sense of humor. The same things make them laugh. The same things make them cry. The same things get them excited. The same things make them sad. And when you asked that question, that was really just the first thing that popped into my mind is that I just feel like I'm a human being. Like I'm one of, you know, seven, eight, nine billion people, however many people there are on this planet that, you know, so many people like to, to say that we're all so different and we're all so unique. We're all so special. And that's maybe true on some levels, but on a lot of levels, I just say, man, we are so similar. We're so alike where, you know, there's, there's so few things that separate us. And I think that's an exciting thing. And that's why when I spend time with people that I've just met, you know, from Puerto Rico, where I've been living now for six years at conferences that you and I both attend, or when I'm on my worldly travels and I'm in some far reaching place in the world where I never even knew existed before getting there. I just look at people and I say, man, these individuals, like they have the same hopes, the same fears, the same desires, the same, you know, anxiety and stresses that I have and that we all have. And it's just, uh, it just makes me like really like just think twice about what it means to be a human. And so when you ask me who I am, I feel like I'm a human. Yeah. I love that answer. I love that. And one of the things I love about it is you didn't use these words, but it's very clear in the tone of your voice, the expression of the ways that you described why you chose that, that for you to be a human is a huge honor and a privilege. I, that, you communicated that without actually saying those words. And the reason why I point that out is because of the number of times, I, I know I've probably said it a number of times, but I've mimicked what I've heard other people. Well, I'm only human. As if that's like, <laughs> I'm only human. Hello, I am human. I mean, this is incredibly <laughs> awesome. What a gift. And, and, I, and I get that vibe from your answer and I liked it. And, and you're right, because honestly, it is a gift. And it's been brought to my attention through various podcasts and books I've been reading over the years that it's a one in 400 trillion chance that you and I became humans. I mean, one in 400 trillion. So we've already won this jackpot. And I literally look at other humans and I'm like, you won the craziest jackpot in the world to be conceived and to be born and to be alive and to be a human in this amazing world that we live in. And that 400, that 400 trillion to one odds of, of becoming a human, that's something that I try to keep near the forefront of my mind. I love that. One of the, it prompted me when you say that, 
another thing that I've read in a lot of books and have been influenced by a, some some spiritual folks is the idea of, you know, so we made it, right? We we had this one in 400 million trillion whatever uh, chances to get here. We're here. And what I love about it is when we came, we entered the world with practically nothing with as well, as far as it comes with relationships and material blessings. I mean, th- those those were all given to us after birth. We didn't bring anything with us. And I also th- often think about the fact that when we leave, we don't take anything with us so that everything that we have in this earth, uh, it, it, that we experience in this earth, it's all on the profit column. We'll, ne- we'll never have less than what we came with. We came with nothing. And so we can, we can grow financially, prosper, all this stuff. We could lose it all, gain it all. Lo- but, but at the end of the day, everything we have, we have these experiences and what we learn and how we've grown. And so therefore, it, it, just being human is the experience in and of itself. And it's just a profit all the way. It, have you read or heard anything like that before? Yeah, I think we both know Todd Henry, and he actually wrote a book called Die Empty. And it really did talk about that very thing of, you know, number one, one of the the premises of the book was, you know, hey, like, let's leave it all on the table. Like, let's do the things we want to do. Let's love the people that we want to love. Let's enjoy the experiences we want to enjoy. Because at at the end of the day, we're going to die. And when we die, our gas tank's on empty. We're leaving this earth with nothing. We're not taking an ounce of gas, an ounce of this, an ounce of Y, an ounce of Z. And it just really kind of hit home with me, you know, that, wow, like this is, you know, where we are in the present moment, you know, tomorrow is going to be what tomorrow is. And then when the lights go out for you and for myself at the end of this road, we're, we're out, we're out of here. John, you would be somebody that would be described in the, the, world you and I live in, and I, I think I identify this way as well, at least at least it's a label that many people would put on me as well, as achiever. Are you, are you okay, or have you heard this label placed upon you, and, and has that been accurate at some point? Is it still accurate today? When you hear the label achiever associated with your name or as a label for you, what, what does that bring up for you today? It brings up facts. And I, I accept that. I receive that. I believe that. I am that. I feel like I embody that because one thing that I've done over the course of my years, especially since the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey is I've set goals and I have achieved many of those goals. I have come up short on many of those goals. I have failed at many of those goals, but the end of the day, I'm going back to the plate and I'm setting that next goal. And every intention that I have within that is to achieve that goal. And I love the feeling of accomplishment. I love the feeling of achievements. I love the feeling of putting in a a good solid day's work on a, a meaningful goal of mine and then being able to lay down at the end of the night and kind of reflect on the day and say, you know what? I achieved a lot today. So I love that word. I have no problem with that moniker being placed upon me. I accept it. I agree with it. And I encourage others to do the same. Awesome. So we have an answer for the first most important question, who are you? Second most important question anybody could ever ask or answer for themselves. Why are you here? (laughs) 
feel like that is a very deep question, Cliff. And uh, I'm glad you didn't pre- uh, prepare myself or any of your other uh, guests with this because then you would probably get some pretty stock answers. But if you, you know, just kind of spring this upon people, you know, why are you here? I honestly feel like what first comes to my mind is I'm here to experience life. And that's one thing that I really have been trying to do for a long time. And I can tell you, there's been times in my life where I don't feel like I was experiencing life. Um, certain times while, you know, I was growing up as a child, you know, I, I felt like I was just trying to, you know, fa- push the fast forward button to get to that next milestone, 16 years old with a car, or 18 years old out of the house. And then when I was in the army, there were some good times, but the army is mostly just a really rough place to exist, especially when you're in a time of war. And I, you know, found myself many times while I was an officer in the army, just being like, you know, I just can't wait till this day's over, till this week's over, till this month's over, till this year's over, till my deployment's over, until my time in service is over. And like, I would just have that one single mindset. And and same thing happened in law school when I was so unhappy in law school, being like, I just can't wait till this class is over, this day is over, this semester's over. And I, I realized very quickly that I was not enjoying life. I was not experiencing life. What I was doing was just trying to get by. I was trying to press, press the fast forward button until I could fall asleep and wake up the next day. And hopefully those days would turn into weeks, months, and years until something eventually happened where I feel like now that I'm 10 years into entrepreneurs on fire, I see so many people that come to me and they had that kind of same mentality of like, John, like I just, when is my life going to start? And I just want to tell them what I wish I could have told myself back during those periods I just mentioned to you where I was struggling, where I was dealing with like, for instance, PTSD after my time and in service in Iraq and in different series and situations that I was in of like, life is meant to be experienced. The good, the bad, the ugly. And, you know, one thing that I realized very shortly is like, there is no good without some bad. I mean, you need the highs. A better way of looking at it is you need the lows to experience the highs. And now I don't want to be on this roller coaster of life where I have these super high, high highs and these incredible low, low lows. I kind of like playing a little more level in the field of having nice highs and then, you know, reasonable lows and then going back and forth. That to me is kind of more of the cadence and the rhythm that I want to be in. But one of the biggest things that I realize is like, why am I here? Well, I'm here to experience life. I'm here to enjoy life. I'm here to experience interactions with other human beings, to give some value to people, to, you know, enjoy the different flavors that life's going to offer. But at the end of the day, I would sum it up by just saying, I'm here to experience life. I love that. Wow. That's good stuff. All right. Next question. Again, John has not been prompted with any of these. Oh. These are all easy questions, by the way. Oh, yeah. you told me they're the most hard, difficult know, questions I've ever answered. Yeah, that. Well, the, seriously, the, the first two, those first two questions are simply the most challenging questions anyone could ever ask. So deep. Yeah. Uh, I. By the way, just for anybody listening, I would encourage this. When I first heard the story, have you ever heard Dan Miller tell the story? Of the um, the gosh, was it the rabbi and the centurion? Have you ever heard this no. story? 
I'm going to totally mess it up. Is that okay if I tell you a story, John? It's story time with Cliff and John. (laughs) So forgive me, Dan Miller, for totally destroying this story. All right. So there's this rabbi in the Roman time, and there's a centurion who is protecting this, this palace. And, and, and so the rabbi is walking down this colonnade or whatever, this cobblestone path, and he, he comes around the corner, and the centurion says, Halt! Who are you, and why are you here? And the rabbi looks at it, and he says, Wow! wow. How much do you get paid to do this? And the guy is dumbfounded. He's like, who are you and why are you here? He goes, no, seriously, I want to know. How much do they pay you to, to, to stand here and to do this? He says, what's it to you? Three drachma or whatever it was called. And, and he says, wow. And the, he goes, who are you and why are you here? And the rabbi just sits there for a second and he says, tell you what, I will pay you double if you will come and stand outside my tent every morning and ask me those two questions. Wow. <laughs> that is pretty cool. I don't think you butchered it, man, because that sounds like a pretty legit story. Yeah. Could you imagine? So so I, Dan Miller has told this story. Our friend, by the way, author of the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, for those who don't know. Um, but anyway, I heard him tell this story several times. Didn't really hit me the first time I heard it. It's like, oh, what a cute story. <laughs> and, but the second time I heard it, it hit me. It's like, wow, maybe, maybe there's something to this idea of having somebody ask you every day, who are you, why are you here? And w- what, if, what if I don't need to actually hire somebody to do it? What if I just ask myself and use it as a journal prompt? And so I did that once a day, every day for about a week. And I was, sh- and, and, and I had the idea, this was an intuitive idea that came in, that inner voice that kind of talks to you, you, you know? And it said, what, what I want you to do is I want you to use these two questions as a journal prompt, write whatever comes to your mind. And when you go back the next time to answer this question, these questions, do not refer to what you wrote back in the previous time. And as you continue to go, write whatever comes to your heart, but refuse to go back until you're finished with this series of asking this question, this whatever. And then you could actually see how you've evolved over the days or the, in some cases, I'll do this, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And it's, it, these are two questions I continually ask myself. Powerful stuff, my friend. Very. Yeah. Awesome. All right, John. Next question. It's okay if you take a minute to think about it, um, and it, it's it's totally cool if you co- go away from our conversation today. It's like, oh, these are the top three I should have chosen. Don't worry about that. Just whatever comes to your heart today. What are the top three things that you are most proud of creating? I would say what would sound like the obvious answer for me for number one, but is the true answer is entrepreneurs on fire. Like I'm very proud that the 32 year old JLD stepped into this terrified, naive, scared, imposter syndrome feeling space and contacted 
Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man, um, Jamie Masters, another great podcast host, and you know, shakily uh, recorded his first fifteen to twenty episodes um, in, a, in a very small room in Portland, Maine, not really having any idea what kind of impact the show would have, if any at all, but just knowing that this was the show that I wanted to exist. So I was going to force it into existence and will it into existence. And then to look back and to see the 3,600 episodes that have now been recorded, including by the way, six just today, as I'm on my little uh, kick of getting in front of the microphone on my one day per week of work. And, um, the, the, you know, the hundred and now 7 million, uh, listens that the show has garnered, um, you know, over 2 million listens on a monthly basis and the countless amount of reviews and emails and personal stories and people coming up to me in person at events, at conferences on the street, in the airport, just thanking me, not of course for usually for what I say, but for the conduit that I provide for my guests to say something that impacts their life, that changes their life. I'm very proud of, of that show of, of entrepreneurs on fire. I'm very proud of the catalog of great value and, and knowledge. And honestly, the um, um, ripple effect that this had, and this is one thing that I'm very you know knowledgeable of and something that you've done, you know, on such a high level as well, Cliff. I mean, I'm a living example of your ripple effect. But it's that, you know, one thing that I said in a podcast or that my guest said in a podcast has somebody start and do something that they otherwise would not have done that is now impacting 10 or 100 or thousands of people. And that's happening over and over and over again. And that ripple effect can just have incredibly huge things. So that would honestly probably, you know, be kind of the thing that I'm proud of within Entrepreneurs on Fire is the ripple effects. Um, I would say number two would be, you spoke about journals and I found how powerful journaling is myself, um, luckily at a fairly young age. And so since I launched Entrepreneurs on Fire, I've actually created four different journals and I'm very proud of each one of those journals because they, like Entrepreneurs on Fire, I think have helped a ton of people accomplish their goals or master discipline, focus, and productivity, or launch their podcast. Those are what the journals are focused on in different ways, shapes, and forms. So before, I'm very proud. Yep. Before you go to number three, so what are the four journals so that people can go look at them? The Freedom Journal. Yep. The Mastery Journal. The Podcast Journal. And the 100-Day Goal Journal. And where can they find those? All of them are on Amazon. Awesome. Under John Lee Dumas? Under myself. Yeah. Yep. John Lee Dumas. Awesome. All right. Continue. Sorry. And my uh, third thing that I'm most proud of would honestly be what I now consider the culmination of which at that point was about 3,500 interviews that I had done over 10 years of Entrepreneurs on Fire that I sat down in really over about 90 days wrote what I considered the step-by-step process that I've learned from my 3,500 plus guests on what are the steps and specifically the 17 steps to financial freedom and fulfillment. And that culminated in the launch of the common path to uncommon success almost exactly one year ago to the day. And now what I love about that book, 
specifically and why I'm so proud of it is that number one, I know that book has so many answers for so many people's questions and I love that. But now I love that when I get all the emails that I receive on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and people are asking really specific questions, really deep, meaningful questions, like life-changing questions that I frankly do not have even close to the time, energy, or bandwidth to answer on a one-by-one basis. And before I had to just kind of essentially either not reply to the email or reply that I'm sorry, I just, you know, I can't address this in the depth that you need. I can now just say, fantastic questions. I have the answers to all of those questions and more. Here's the link to the book, audio form, book form, whatever you need. There it is. And that's just such a good feeling now that I can give people that thorough of a response to their questions. And many times they'll come back and they'll say, wow, like I had question X, Y, and Z and you gave me answers to A through Z. And like, I just can't thank you enough. And the book is Common Path to Uncommon Success, available in Amazon, also under John Lee Dumas. I'll put links to all of this stuff in the show notes. So those are the top three things that you are most proud of creating in, in, in the moment. I, again, I, I don't have the, any kids yet because, you know, every, yeah. oh, every parent would say they're kids, of yep. course. Um, so maybe you should actually put an asterisk by that but, and say, accept your kids so you can get but, some real answers. Well, and, and the thing is, is in, in the asterisk is, hey, in the moment, this is what came up for me. This was what was on my heart, what was in my mind, what was in my heart. And and it, it just is what it is. You know, that's 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 how this stuff works. Right. All right. So, uh, okay. Now, <laughs> it's funny that you bring up un- the the common path to uncommon success. But here's the question, and I don't want a 17-step one, but what formula have you found effective for creating? Now, I'll just give three steps. Go, yeah, go ahead. Easy three steps. Three steps. You need to sit down. You need to come up with a big idea. Like what's a big idea that excites you, that you're passionate about, that you also have some skills and some knowledge and some expertise in? And then how can you take that big idea and how can you niche it down into a solution to a real problem that nobody's solving within that big idea? And then step number three, how can you create the perfect consumer of that idea? The perfect person who problem you are solving? How can you create your avatar knowing the perfect individual whose problem you are solving better than anybody else? So big idea, niche your face off until you're the number one solution to a real problem and then get to know your perfect customer client avatar better than anybody else. Those are your three steps. So as I look and evaluate those three steps, and the three things that you've expressed that you are most proud of creating so far, EO Fire, I definitely can see how you applied those three steps. The journals, each, all four of them, absolutely. And then, of course, the book, Common Path to Uncommon Success. I, I definitely see those three steps. So awesome stuff. All right, next question. What things do you remember creating as a kid? Poems is one thing that I remember very clearly. I remember writing one poem that I was so proud of. Like I thought that it was just like the teacher was going to read it and be like, this kid's the next Shakespeare. My parents were going to like hang it on the fridge. And I remember like 
no, no response. Like no, like people were like, Oh, this is nice. And like, they went on to the next thing. And I was like, so shocked. So I was like, don't you see that this is like a work of art? And I can probably almost even like say what the poem is right now. It's, it's a very short one, but it was, uh, it was, it was something called like eight people. So I even thought like the, the, the title was clever because, um, I had eight people and then it was a drawing with a poem of what these eight people were doing. And it was one will stay, one will come, one will sing, one will hum, one will go to bed at night, one will want to fly a kite, one will want to sing all day, and one will want to, and that's right, I can't remember the end of it. That's, that's <laughs> anticlimactic, but the last person wanted to do something that rhymed with that. And I think the drawing and the poem and how it fit in, I just thought it was a piece of art. And I loved it and nobody else did. And that's kind of my first thing of like, oh, okay. Like maybe, um, you know, people don't care about the same things that you care about as an individual. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I was connecting with the poem as you were saying it. Um, have you thought about doing anything? Like, have you created anything as an adult around that poem? Have you brought that in, out, outside of this conversation? Have you brought that into any content you've created? Not a thing. And, you know, honestly, as I'm even thinking about this, because I haven't thought about this in a long time, which is, you know, part of the beauty of what you're creating here with the show is I'm almost positive that that poem and that um, artwork is in some scrapbook, not because my mother probably thought it was worthy, but because I forced her to put it in there. And uh, that would be fascinating to pull that out and to revisit that and to see like what that brings up for me. Because no, the, the, the answer is I really haven't. And now that, you know, I've built the business that I've built and I still love doing what I do with Entrepreneurs on Fire. I mean, I'm doing seven interviews today for the show, including this conversation with you. And I honestly look forward to these interviews because I love this type of conversation and, and interacting with humans in this type of format. I've always loved it. You know, the reality is I've got 25, 20, 24 days a month where I'm not working, where I'm really, you know, I have time, time freedom to to travel or to relax or to spend time doing other things on health and, and wellness or whatever it might be. And so there's, there's bandwidth in my life to, to do something else. I just haven't got to what that other thing is. Nice. Well, I, I look forward to anything that may or may not come out of it. So that's, Very cool. that's awesome. Let me, I'm just going to press for one more because I, I just feel like there's something else. Is there something else that you remember creating as a kid? Now, is the keyword creating or is it doing? You interpret the question however you best see fit. Yeah. I'm going to take it as creating because I did a lot of things as a kid, but I didn't create too many things. So that really narrows things down. And what really comes up for me there is I was obsessed with creating skyscrapers with Legos. I just loved Legos. I loved stacking Legos up. I used to want them to go as high as possible. There's so many pictures of me as a little tiny kid standing on like chairs and tables just to keep stacking the Lego set higher and higher and higher. Like for some reason, I was obsessed with heights on these things. I thought that was the most important thing, not like the actual overall structure itself, but just the height of that Lego stack that I was making. And those pictures kind of make me laugh. And that's the image that came into mind when you said that. I, I love that. And the, the, 
one thing that obviously I don't want to take away from the awesomeness of what you're talking about. I, matter of fact, I I'm sitting here watching little boy Johnny uh, <laughs> standing up on a big, huge step ladder on the top yeah. ladder where you're not supposed to top, and and you're adding a couple more stories to this major uh, Lego skyscraper. I am so there with you as you're doing it. But what came up for me in the beginning of your looking for this answer was, well, I didn't, I don't know that I created a lot, but I did this. But John, talk to me for a minute. What do you think about the idea that you and I have been conditioned somewhere by the world to think that that's not creating? Is it because the structure was temporary that it that we didn't that that maybe you were you were thinking well that's not a creation because what I see is EO fire is something that's created the world can consume it it's there it may even carry on a legacy well after you're gone uh, the journals are created people it's a physical thing it can be reproduced and it, you know people can hold on to it and keep it pass it down to their grandkids the the um, the book you know we you and I know how books can live lifetimes of their own but is there something because what what really resonates with me was just how in a way on on some level any one of those lego skyscrapers was just as important of a creation as any of the three that you've mentioned that you're most proud of and does anything come up for you as, as as i say any of that Honestly, I do kind of feel um, that I'm resonating with your concept of like the impermanence of it all. Whereas like, because you took it down and you put it away and it no longer existed, like in my mind, you know, whether that be nature or nurture, you know, I was kind of conditioned to be like, okay, well that's over now. Like I, that I'm, I'm done. That creation will not see the light of day. Just kind of how I felt like with my poem where, you know, like it wasn't, you know, hung on my fridge or it wasn't framed or it wasn't like talked about in my school or things along those lines that, you know, somehow, you know, it just, it didn't matter that much because, you know, it was kind of here today, gone tomorrow. So yeah, that, that is what's coming up for me, which, you know, now that you're kind of bringing that up, it's, it's, it's sad. But it, 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 but th- I mean, it, it is sad that, that maybe that was the conditioning, but I, cause when you were telling me about the Lego story, I, 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 I don't know if you noticed it. I'm watching you on zoom. When you talked about leaning up and reaching your physical body reenacted that movement. Did you notice that? <laughs> no. <laughs> So what's coming up for me is that that experience is still alive in you today. It brought you joy and a joy that can that is permanent that won't go away. And so while the structure itself may have been disassembled, what you created is still a part of who you are and my guess is that that experience is what gave you the feelings and the momentum to always want to be building bigger and going higher, which allowed you to create the EO fire that you've created today, which has allowed you to create these journals and has allowed you to create this incredible resource called uh, Common Path to Uncommon Success. It's that forcing it, willing it, 
stretching up higher. Wow, what an important creation you made when you were a kid with Lego skyscrapers. That is a connecting of the docs, dots, Cliff, that I don't think I would have got there on my own. Or actually, I know I would not have. So, thank you. Yeah. <sighs> I love conversations, John. <laughs> I think you got the right show then. <laughs> One more question for you. And, and, and probably a, a, an offshoot since I have you for 21 and a half more minutes. Booyah. Booyah. All right. What are you creating next? So what comes up for me there, because if you'd asked me that question two years ago, I would have had an answer for you, the book. And two years before that, it would have been something else. And two years before that, it would have been something else. But you're asking me that question today in 2022. And the honest answer that I have is I'm working at creating my version of a perfect life. And I have no intention that the absolute perfect life can ever be created because there's always going to be some things that you have to deal with that you may not want to be part of that perfect life. But the reaching, the the stretching for, like the trying to attain what I consider the, the best use of my time day to day, my quote unquote perfect day. Um, is, is something that's very appealing to me. And, you know, I'm a big routine guy. I've always been a big routine guy. I think that's one reason why, you know, at 42, I'm still the same weight that I was at 18 years old because I have a, a killer morning and evening routine that includes exercise and walking and um, stretching and red light therapy and sauna and cold plunges and spending time with, you know, family and friends over dinner and, um, prioritizing rest and sleep and, you know, putting the right foods into my body when it comes to nutrition and always looking to up level, you know, the just different factors and facets of, of what is, you know, this temporary body that I've been given, you know, for this time on earth. And that's what I'm really looking to create is just a better version of myself. That's probably honestly a better answer as I'm kind of talking through this than the perfect life. Cause that didn't really resonate with me, like creating the perfect life. Cause it's more of creating a better version of me. And that's one of the biggest things that like, I see as people struggle with in life is they say, I could never be X or Y or Z, or I could never do what Cliff's doing or John's doing or Mark Cuban's doing or Elon Musk is doing. And it's just like such a comparison world that we live in. And I mean, Instagram and TikTok have just completely taken that to the next level where, you know, before it was like, you might be, you know, like the best baseball player, you know, in your town. And that was pretty cool. But now like, if you're not the best baseball player in the, in the world, like you're feeling down because you're seeing that person, you know, on TikTok, on Instagram or doing whatever they're doing in this world. So there's just this comparison issue. And I love saying the, uh, the, the statements that you will always despair when you compare Mm. because the only person that you should be comparing yourself to in this entire world is you yesterday. And if you're winning that comparison, then you're winning at life. And over time, you're building something amazing. So the real answer of, of what I'm creating, honestly, every day I wake up and my goal is to create a better version of myself. And the only person I compare myself to 
is myself yesterday? Am I beating that person? And guess what? Not every day am I beating that person because I'm not perfect and I never will be. But if, you know, four days a week, five days a week, I am a better, I am building a better version of myself over time, that's going to continue to build upon that. So that's really what comes up for me when you ask that question is like, I'm looking to build a better version of myself. I'm not feeling like the answer is this product or this service or this idea or this affiliate partnership or this, you know, show or this or that. It's, it's really a better version of myself. I love that. I love that. Um, what you, when you first came out, the, the first thing that flowed from you was my version of a perfect life. And of course, we saw how it was molded and, and crafted into something else as, as you went through in, into a better version of myself. And I love that and I, and I flowed with you, but I, what I'd love to do is, is, is share with you what came up for me um, it, first of all, my version, I love that. And it speaks to the non-comparison of others, you know, so this is my version, my definition of what I consider to be wor- worthy of my time, effort, and energy, and, and what it is I want to do with the investment of all of my resources, including my time, uh, and everything. So my version and then the word perfect kind of, I saw, I saw this like, whoa, danger, Will Robin. Let's, let's pause on that word. Although I, one of the things that I do is I like to look at common words that we use all of the time and we just assume that we know what those words are. So I'm, I don't know if you do this, John, but I'm always asking my Apple assistant saying, hey, yo-ho, uh, I'd, I'd like to ask you, what does this mean? And I always like pulling up the definition, and usually the first definition is the definition we all think of, but the fact that there's oftentimes, almost always, multiple different ways that that word could be defined, and perfect doesn't mean, doesn't have to mean the idea of perfection, that I am perfect. Without defect, yeah. Without defect. There's, there are other words, I'm positive, there are other ways that the word perfect can be used other than without uh, room for improvement. And what came up for me is ideal. And so as, as you're talking about, you know, my version of a perfect life, what came up for me is I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it and I'm like, yeah, my, mine would be kind of like my version of an ideal life and an ideal situation of what I'd like to experience. And, and it, and and then I, I took your life and I thought about it as I created something called my ideal work week, you know, and, and the ideal work week is where I, I plan out my calendar and it's like, okay, this is my idea. And, 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 and this is what I'd really like. This is what I'd like to experience. Here's the things that I like to do, the places I'd like to be, the people I'd like to be with and stuff like that. And I recognize this can shift and can change over time as my priorities and values change, or I may have to make adjustments because of other circumstances that come along. But this is my ideal. And so for me, that's what I heard you say is, is not, not you, you want to create your version of your ideal life. I like that. I like that interpretation. That's cool. Sweet. Hmm. Force it, will it. You use those words and they really resonated with me. 
uh, and and it's something that I've seen a lot. It, talk to me, John, real quickly about when you wanted to create something and you had to force it and will it. And if you wouldn't have forced it and willed it into existence, it wouldn't have happened. So when I hear the word force it, like for me, it means kind of doing something that I'm not necessarily wanting to do, that I'm not like looking forward to doing, that I'm not like feeling necessarily excited about. And when I kind of am putting that definition over the word force it, which is really how I look at it, it brings me back to something that I actually launched back in 2013 that really was forced and it felt forced. And I knew it the whole time, but it was really my first time going at something like this in the entrepreneurial world. So I kind of maybe thought that this was how everything felt when you try something like this, even though it didn't feel great and it didn't seem like it was aligned with what I wanted to be creating or building or putting out into the world that I still just had to force my way through those feelings and force this product, this, what actually was a service out there. And that was my first go around as something called pod platform, which I don't even, I, I may have discussed pod platform with you back in the day. Cause I think I was still in your mastermind when I was at least starting to think about creating it. Um, but again, it was just kind of, you know, I look back, it was a 32 year old kid, just kind of like throwing wet, spaghetti against a wall being like, I don't know what's going to stick. And I remember even like Jamie Masters saying, let's sit down and let's talk about all the ways you could potentially make money so you can keep doing this thing called podcasting. And I just was naming all these things. And like, if we look back on it, you know, it's just, it'd be funny to see which ones ended up coming to fruition, which ones didn't and all everything in between. But, you know, that was something that I really forced out into the world to a terrible result, um, which I actually feel like I was very fortunate to have a terrible result. Because if I had a good result, I probably would have forced myself to stick with it because it might've been bringing in, in revenue. And then I would have been building something that I would have looked back at six or 12 months or t- two years from that point and been like, man, what kind of jail cell have I, have I built around myself? Because that was what that business would have grown into had I gone down that path. So blessing in disguise. Um, and that's what I tell people that ask me, you know, when they say, man, this just doesn't feel right. My intuition's going against it. My gut's telling me, no, there's some red flags. I'm like, listen, the last time I did something like that, it blew up in my face. And I, I just say, man, this is a world that we live in where we can just go towards things that we're excited about, that we're enthusiastic about, that we're passionate about, that feel easy to go towards. Doesn't mean there's no work and it's going to be easy. There's going to be some hard and difficult times, but there's just a different feeling when you're not forcing it. Wonderful. So, so, okay. So what I'm hearing is, is the, the idea, this concept of forcing it, it's not forcing yourself to do something that you don't want to do, but it is an alignment with what you what really excites you. But I'm hearing this is a story and, and what you're coming up with is this idea of forcing something in, you know, it, it's it's not just like, oh, well, I don't want to do this task associated with it, and, but it has to be done. But because but, there's those things that have to get done 
that you have to will it and you have to pr- press through the resistance, but it is an, but the end result will be worth it and you know it's worth it because you'll do whatever it takes for the big vision, the big goal, because it is calling you. There's no turning it down. That's what I heard the first time way back in our conversation today. You used force it, will it. But when I brought up force it, will it, you this force it came up with something incredibly valuable that you just brought in. An example of when we when we try to force things that maybe is it because it's well okay I'm looking at the dollar figures and that's really the the thing here but the dollar figures isn't really what lights my fire it could work might not work I don't know but I have to do something I'm saying a lot and I don't know if I'm asking a question (laughs) just being authentic all right so John forget it everything you said was brilliant I love it um Last question for you. If somebody is out there thinking about leaving the nine to five and becoming this thing known as an entrepreneur, they've been thinking about it for the last two to three years. Some people that I talk to have been thinking about it for the last five to 10 years, 15 to 20 years. They have listen to Entrepreneur on Fire. They've listened to Pat Flynn. They listen to a lot of other amazing, great podcasts out there with people who are talking about making their dreams into reality, creating businesses that serve others, that help them thrive and to live a fulfilling life. But for some reason, even though they've dabbled and learned and studied and and learned new software tools, set up websites, played around with course and learned how to use cameras, software, you know, all of the stuff, but they still seem to have a tr- an, a, a difficult time even considering the idea of making the decision to leave the nine to five and go full-time self-employed. What would you say to somebody like that? I would say, don't do it. Don't do it until you can honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, I have the number one solution to a real honest problem in this world. Because until you have that number one solution to a real problem, you're going to have competition, struggles, obstacles, and challenges. Not saying that they can't be overcome. I went in blindly to this and I somehow was able to overcome things by sheer hard work and luck and you know, investing in the right people like Cliff and Jamie and others that I've been able to surround myself with over the years. But man, if I had someone come to me and say, I have a nine to five job, I'm supporting my family and my kids are counting on me. My wife's counting on me. My husband's counting on me. You know, my, my extended family's counting on me, wherever that situation might be. And I'm just dying a slow death in this nine to five. And I just want to quit it all and then go full board into becoming this entrepreneur. And I want to help people. And usually when they say they want to help people, they're like, I just want to help inspire other people. And like, I'm like, that's a great desire. And it's so broad and it's so vague and it's so unmonetizable until you find your thing. So understand, yes, you don't want to keep doing what you're doing forever as that nine to five. But now's the time to put all of your energy, all of your time, all of your focus into finding 
the one thing that you can become the best at, the best solution to a real problem in this world. And that goes back to those three steps we talked about where it's like, come up with a big idea. That's an exciting idea. And then find within that big idea, this small niche that is underserved. There's a void in that marketplace that for some reason people aren't creating great solutions to real problems in that void and step into that void. That's where you'll get your initial momentum and traction. Because Cliff, if I had just launched a podcast called, you know, John Talks back in 2012, well, I was a bad talker. I was a bad podcast host. I was a bad interviewer. I was bad at all those things. The show would have just flopped. So if I were to launch a podcast, which was my big idea, I would have failed. So I niched down to business podcasts. There was 800 of them. And I said, well, I got to find a niche within this niche because I can't go against 800 business podcasts. So I went down to business podcasts that were interviewing entrepreneurs and there were seven of them. And at that moment, I still said, do I want to be the eighth best podcast interviewing entrepreneurs? Of course not. So what's a niche within that quadruple down niche I've already come down on that I can be the best solution at? And that came down to quantity. They were all doing one per week. And I said, I can be the first daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. I will be the worst, but I will also be the best because I'm going to be the only. And I'm going to fill a void that's not currently being filled. And I will be the best solution to a real problem in this world as I saw it. And that's what got me going. And that's what people need to wait for before they just leave the nine to five and the security of the health insurance and the um, salary and the paycheck coming in and all those things that, that come along with that, you've got to make sure that you're at least starting in the right direction. I love it. John, I really want to say thank you for our friendship. It's been more than a decade now. Uh, what an incredible journey, as you said before we hit the record button, that we have been on, what we have witnessed uh, you know, together and, and then just our own separate journeys. And I always love our opportunities to come back and reconnect and have conversations on mic and off mic. And so I, I really genuinely appreciate you. I thank you for the inspiration that you have been to me and uh, thank you for what you're creating in this world. Love you, Cliff. Thank you.